You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. We're your hosts, Jessica and Caroline. And today, and for the next three weeks, we're going to explore a new initiative from Education Reimagined. Education Reimagined recently released a paper entitled Schools Out which set out to explore how we can alter our perspective on the meaning, feel, and delivery of learning. Tom had the opportunity to sit down with the education leaders who authored Schools Out over the next three episodes. We'll dig deeper into what the future of learning may look like for students. First, let's tune in to listen to Tom and Amy Anderson, Executive Director of ReSchool Colorado, talk about family participation in learner advocate networks, flexibility within the learner's day, and what a reimagined model for education may look like for rural students. Amy Anderson, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Thank you. Where'd you go to high school? Naperville Central High School. Was it a great experience? No, it wasn't a great. It wasn't awful, but it was not. It was mediocre. How, how do you think it informs your your sense of the work that you do today? Well, I was um, in my town. There were either the public schools that, that you got assigned to, or there were Catholic schools. And there weren't even any other private schools. And I was a Jewish girl, so I wasn't going to go to a Catholic school. So I was kind of stuck with what I got. And I did fine. I uh, I was bored a lot of the time and looking for something more. So I had to find that through things that I did outside of school. And do, do, when you look back at that period and, and you think about powerful learning experiences, did that happen more often outside of school than inside Oh, almost all of them were outside of school for me. I was involved in different youth leadership groups and drama and sports and things. I, I couldn't ever make the sports team at my school. I tried everything and I always got rejected. So I had to seek things outside of school. So it's, it's uh, interesting. That has a lot to do with what you do today. Yeah. So, so you've been a, a foundation executive. Uh, you, you were a, a state uh, education policy Director, and now you're you're back at the NLK, uh, leading an effort called Reschool Colorado. What what's that about? Well, we started Reschool with this idea of uh, what if you could start from scratch, and instead of continuing to look at the systems that we have and figure out how we can fix them or, or, you know, innovate within them or stretch them in new and, and modernized ways. What if you could start a, a new education system that was designed for today's world and that you could co-design in partnership with the end users of that system? So in our case, that's families and communities and, um, and educators. Uh, how, what would that process look like and what would, what would evolve from it? And so we're five years into kind of rethinking and redesigning our education system in Colorado. So the, I, I think the, for me, the most interesting thing about Reschool Colorado is how central the idea of learning advocates are to your design. Tell, tell us about the what led to that becoming such a core part of the work you're doing. Yeah, so when we originally set out to do this work, one of the big things that we wanted to um, make sure to, to happen was that, that the idea that learning occurs everywhere. And... Um, and if people are already, as we knew, kind of struggling to navigate the existing school choices that exist in terms of the public school sector, uh, when you added in outside of school learning experiences or integrated those with school, we realized that that was even going to add more complexity. And so um, as, you know, kind of an equity play more than anything else, we needed to make sure that as we designed the system that there was some 
some role that it back then we didn't hadn't named it yet, but where there was support for families to navigate the system. And the way that we came around to this idea of a learner advocate network was through some of our early prototyping, where we actually um, families wanted to see how they could access learning experiences in the summer space. And that was a great place for us to innovate. And so we actually handed families access to resources, which was a debit card, um, and the support of early stage ideas around what advocate role might look like and, and figured out how they how that resource and, and the support um, allowed them to either navigate well or not the system of summer learning. And we've iterated on that since then. So your, your paper sort of mused on this idea, if there wasn't school, mm -hmm. um, how would we rethink education? And the central premise really comes down to it would start with every student having an advocate. You really think that idea is central and should be central to how we rethink education, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, the really important thing is that there is that advocate role where you have the person that's most forward-facing with the family. Um, and then that person needs to be supported by a larger network of functions. And yeah. that's where um, where the network piece comes in. But the advocate itself, um, she and her job is to work with a family um, in ways that I don't think our current system does. So our current system might work with kids every day, but they don't talk to the parents or they have other advocate roles where they talk to parents, but they don't involve the kids. And so I think what's unique about our advocates is that it's a family anchored approach where they're negotiating a lot of these conversations yeah. about goals and direction and choices together. So that seems so, uh, so smart to me as I, I think about where we've come from in the last 30 years, we've moved from, school choice, where it's really about where do I live to get my kid into a school, uh, to course choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we're really now talking about experience choice. Like what's the next best thing for me to do to, uh, as a, as a learner and all these choices have really expanded at school and out of school mm -hmm. with, with digital learning. And then as we look forward to the, the career landscape, that's really exploded in terms of the options that exist and how you access those options. When you put all of that together, it suggests to me the guidance is so, so important that we're, we're asking young people and families to make hundreds of learning decisions a day instead of just one of where do I want to live and then assume that a kid's on an escalator. So it's... Lots of opportunity, but a lot more complicated. And that, that seems to bring you and I back to this idea, the centrality of, uh, of having an advocate and an informed advisor. Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you, you know, in some ways, when you look at the way people navigate their life right now, they're already doing this to a large degree. I mean, yes, you're still in school for a chunk of your time, but you're out of school for a much larger chunk of your time. And lots of kids are doing a lot of different experiences outside of school um, in summertime or after school, and their parents are navigating that already. But there are a lot of kids who don't have access to that information or to the resources to allow them to do that. And I think that's a big part of where we're trying to level the playing field. Um, and in order to do that, the advocate's super important, but so is information that's easily accessible so people can know what exists out yeah. there. So technology, resources, and other means of uh, curating that or information and, and making it accessible to people. So help us imagine what a, what a secondary learning day uh, might look I shouldn't even use secondary because that, that implies a set of schools, but what for... For a young teens, what, what might a, a, a great learning week look like? Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, I'm going to use my son as an example who's 20 now, but I'm thinking maybe back when he was still closer to high school age, um, 17 or so. You know, he's a, he's a musician and um, he did a lot of things outside of school related to music. Um, and so it would have been great to have an experience where his schooling could have been a bundling of the music experiences he was already having through the Denver School of Rock and other kinds of um, providers that we access at that time. He struggled in math every year in high school. So we had to hire a teacher from the Denver School of Science and Technology to be his tutor. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, why is this kid sitting in a math class at East High when he has this tutor who's actually the one teaching him? So I would have liked to like replace the East High class with the tutor. But then he had other classes like environmental science, AP Enviro that he loved at East. And so how could we have bundled together like a you know, and, and this might change in any given year, and it certainly changes when you're older and you have more access to transportation and those kinds of things, what you can bundle together than when you're only seven years old. But I think that there is a way to make the system more flexible um, to accommodate these other kinds of opportunities. It's exciting to, to think forward a few years when transportation is much more available uh, for more kids, that it's safe and ubiquitous and, and affordable and how that could unlock experiences in a community? Yeah. And yeah, and we've, we've started to play around with that. I mean, um, through the Donald K Foundation, which is where Reschool was birthed, um, we've done a lot lately around transportation and in looking at how public transportation could be more affordable, especially for low-income kids. But we've also been really supportive of having Hop, Skip, Drive come to Colorado from California, which is an Uber for kids. And um, it's not at a price point that we can, you know, go to scale with that, you know, in the way that it, we might be. But we can learn a lot from piloting things with Hop, Skip, Drive right now with some of the families we work with. So I know uh, your your uh, foundation, Denel K, really uh, um, has a heart for uh, rural kids. And mm -hmm. so w what might this look like in a, a rural opportunity? How, how could we unlock learning opportunities for those kids? Yeah, well, one of the things that Donald Kay's been, you know, really focused on this past year or so is um, a lot of our school districts have four-day school weeks, and a lot of people look at this as a deficit, and we actually thought of it as an opportunity. So on that fifth day, what might kids be able to do that isn't what they're getting from their other four days in school? And there's been a variety of different ideas that have emerged from rural communities um, that some are student-led, some are educator-led, some are community organizations that are partnering um, with the school district to provide opportunities. So I think finding spaces where nothing exists or people are under-consuming, to use kind of the theories of disruptive innovation and trying some new things to allow for a more expansive system of learning is, is one option for, for rural. Obviously, another is, you know, to the extent that there's bandwidth, that having opportunities that are more digital in right. different ways. So when, um, uh, this, this is a question about badging or micro-credentials. Uh, sort of how do you think we could do a better job of helping kids tell the story of expanded capability? They learn things in different ways. Um, how, how can we better equip kids to share with the adults and stakeholders in their lives um, how they're developing. Yeah, this has been something that we've been wanting to get to, and we're just starting to have some ideas and that we're going to try this year um, with some of the youth that we work with. I think our first step is going to be through storytelling and um, having opportunities for kids to, you know, kind of 
before they experience something, kind of set their goals and what they expect and hope to get out of that. And then to be able to have them reflect on that through some kind of a, a digital storytelling model um, where they start to name whether it's competencies they gave from it in their own language or what what how it helped them as become a, a smarter person or, or accomplish something that they otherwise wouldn't like and then to be able to take that information and see how we can capture it and hold it and you know do some more formal things with it but it's first about listening to the students I think that's uh, that's such a great um, that's such a great concept. What, what we want to avoid with competency education is things turning into a dry checklist yeah. where kids are, it's a scavenger hunt and you're just checking things off. And if we really ask kids to be reflective about how and why they're growing and learn to tell their story and then give them complex ways to share that with portfolios and, and artifacts and videos, um, then, then we're more likely to encourage deeper learning than shallow learning. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And um, one of the people that I've been talking with a lot these last couple of years is Mark Murphy from Grip Tape, and he's learned a ton and having students be the true, or youth, I would say, not even students, be the true drivers of their learning. And um, I think as educators, we often want to try to, you know, we have a learning framework. There's other learning frameworks out there. There's there's these edu-speak kind of things that we've created that we want kids to try to interact with. And what he's taught me is that they don't want to interact with those, at least at this stage. And, and so how do you both let them co-create kind of some of these this direction and what they hope to gain out of an experience and what they value, but also find out who in the field also finds value and what the students are valuing and, right. and whether that be post-secondary or employers or or others. So this this question of what if school didn't exist by its nature is a scary question for educators. What you've been working at this for five years now in different ways. Um, how do you invite educators to be part of this conversation and sort of reimagine what could be for them and for kids? Well, I mean, one really important way is that we have educators on our staff. And one of the trends that we're seeing more and more, and I don't think this is unique to Denver, but there are a lot of people who have been historically classroom-based teachers who are leaving the profession um, for various reasons. And, and right now, for the most part, you either can stay a teacher or you have to leave teaching and do something else. And I think that there's a growing number of people who want to see if there's some kind of a hybrid approach where or a different way of, of becoming an educator that gives you more flexibility, um, allows you to maybe bundle together in this gig economy, some different things that you might want to do. Some may involve teaching, some may not. Um, so we have, you know, our advocates, both of the, the two that are working with us right now are former teachers. Um, and we have other people at Don LK who had been teachers who now are saying we don't want to open schools and run schools. We actually have a niche program that we want to create. Create. And now they want to partner with other educators and create like an educator marketplace that people can access in different ways than the traditional. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Cottage Class in New York City. Uh, great app. You can go online and, and find learning experiences for kids and families. And some of those are a Saturday experience and some of them are an after school experience and some of them are a micro school and they're all sort of blended from very short term to, to full time and that sort of puts into perspective this new landscape of, of both opportunity for educators and for learners. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like that 
is a new career pathway for teachers that didn't exist previously. And and the idea in the paper that we wrote about in Schools Out about an educator cooperative is there's also this sense of, of educators wanting to belong to something and collaborate with others. And so how do you not lose that and, or create it in different structures than assuming it has to be in a, a school as we traditionally know it? Exciting and uh, thought-provoking. We loved how Amy discussed the role of a learner advocate for families, and we appreciated how she shared the success she's seen with the Learner Advocate Network in Colorado. Learner advocates would be essential if school really was out, given their role in helping families negotiate goals, directions, and choices for their children. For more on Amy's thinking and best practices on the Learner Advocate Network and family engagement, be sure to read her position paper, Schools Out, Exploring a Family-Anchored Strategy to Transform Education. We'll share it in the show notes. Next, we'll hear from Scott Van Beck, former executive director for the educational nonprofit Houston A Plus Challenge. In Scott's position paper, Schools Out, How This Learner-Centered Society Would Liberate Parents, he explored the expanded role the community could play in offering learning opportunities for students. Scott envisions a time where learning doesn't have to be confined to a school and where the community, not just the school, becomes a classroom for learners. Scott joins the podcast to discuss how teachers and community members could shift into the role of learning designers. His paper also outlines his thoughts on how parents could use their expertise to design learning experiences. What would happen uh, if there wasn't a place or the place called school? Right? I think I think schools can play a role. I just don't know whether the, whether it is smart for us any longer to look at them as the be all end all to learning. So for starting over that clean slate thinking, what what's the core? What's the new spine of to help kids and families learn? Yeah. So um, so I'm going to tell you what I think it is, and then I'm going to tell you a big problem that we have right now. So what I think it is, is it is a learning designer instead of a teacher. Uh, it's an adult that can sit down with a family and design a learning plan that utilizes maybe a school, maybe not a school. Um, but a more of a community resource uh, listing than a master schedule, you know, uh, like a school's master schedule. That's why, like, I think that's the basic, basic part, right? I'm a learning coach. I meet families. They're passionate about me. I'm passionate about them. We want to work together. And then the work begins. The problem is um, over the last six, seven years, um, I've become convinced that there aren't very many of those learning designers out there. Um, we still have a bunch of adults that want to tell kids stuff. And so, you know, you can have as vibrant of a design as you, you know, want to have. If you can't find, you know, if there are any horses in the stable, it's going to be hard to. Well, we haven't we haven't done a very good job of uh, of training any learning designers. No, 
I, you know, I'm I'm interested in this uh, in this question. I, I I when I think about a learning designer, they're thinking not only about what what the standards tell us is next in a learning progression. What does a kid need to learn? Yes. But what does a kid want to learn? Yes. So interest based. And I was thinking about you the other day because you've helped create some really interesting learning experiences in the museum district in in Houston. So what could a kid learn? A kid probably doesn't know that they'd want to go to a museum and learn something about art. But you might know that there's a cool exhibit that that's going on at the museum. So because you know what they should learn and what they want to learn and what they what they could learn in the in the community that as a learning designer, you put those three together and help shape what's next for that learner. But, yeah, so but, you just kind of outlined a pretty good uh, uh, plan for the development of learning coaches. Thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast, Scott. <laughs> sure, Tom. A big thanks to Education Reimagined for sponsoring the Schools Out podcast series and to Amy Anderson and Scott Van Beck for speaking with us today. Join our next episode as Tom speaks with Nate McLennan, Vice President for Education and Innovation at Teton Science Schools, and IT consultant Oscar Brinson to get their views on anywhere, anytime learning and the role of technology in the future of learning. And make sure to read the position papers from each author and the school's out paper. We have them linked in the show notes as well as in the blog for this episode. Lastly, don't forget to hit subscribe and rate and review the podcast. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Jessica and Caroline signing off. <laughs>